Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Right, shall we make a start? Because it's just gone one o'clock. So, so hello everybody and welcome. Um, we've just got a few topics that we wanted to cover for you today. And I think Dawn uh, is going to kick off for us. Dawn, you're going to talk about the very topical issue of flu. So you are a flu guru. So if, I, if I'll hand over to you. Thanks, Dawn. Thanks, Lisa. And good afternoon, everybody. Or if you're listening on the podcast at any other time later than live today, then hello. Um, so flu, yes, very topical. And we have today published the first version of our uh, flu top tips. And that is on the front page of our website under the um, hot topics. So it shouldn't be too difficult to find. Um, the top tip brochure, um, as we've done previously, uh, covers a number of areas. Um, the enhanced service specification itself. Uh, we've also made reference this year to the COVID booster program, although as we know, that's not definitive guidance exactly on that yet. We're still waiting for the JCVI to uh, let us all know about that. But there is reference to it. Um, the flu programme itself, the eligibility, uh, training, the recommendations and where you might go for some of that. Uh, we also refer to PGDs, PSDs, uh, CQC indemnities um, and an FAQ section. Um, again, like we've done before. Um, we also have at the back uh, a resources list with links to all those useful um, documents that Public Health England produce for us and various others um, and some posters as well that you might like to use. Um, so, as I said, that's on our website. It is a link to one of the, um, the booklets we use. We, they're called Flip Snack for those that have you looked at them before. Um, so. There is the link to that. The link won't change, but it's possible the versions might as we go through the season, because we undoubtedly will have to update the booklet um, as more information becomes available. Um, so like I say, the link, though, shouldn't change, but our versions will. Moving on from flu, but staying with uh, vaccinims, uh, this is just a little uh, reminder from um, the public health teams, really. Um, as we all know, there were contract changes this year that also um, involved vaccine IMS, um, and part of the changes to vaccine IMS um, included five core standards um, that became contractual. One of which was to have a named lead for vaccination services in the practice. Um, and public health are asking, please, if you can let them know if you haven't done so already, and I'm sure some of you probably, if not all, have already done so. Can you please let them know by the 20th of August, that's not long, um, the name and contact details, please, of your nominated lead for the vaccine in service this year. And the other thing I was going to just talk a little bit about today was something we've had a lot of queries about, unfortunately, for you guys. Um, it's about the COVID pass um, and the name on the COVID pass, not matching patients' passports. Um, patients are therefore coming and asking, will the GP practice please change the name on the medical record so that the COVID pass then will match what's on their passport? This is something we've raised with um, the GPC because it is very frustratingly obviously going to cause and is causing people more work than you need at the moment. Um, the GPC are um, aware and they are raising it with NHSE, although we can't honestly say anything 
much is going to happen about that, unfortunately. Um, but the long and short of it is the current advice is that patients um, can change their name. They don't need a legal basis for doing so. The medical record is not, as we know, a legal document. Um, having said all of that, we would perhaps suggest if you are changing people's names, I guess in most instances it's going to be changing a name to a maiden name um, because perhaps their passport is still in their maiden name. They've not updated their passport. Um, if you are going to make changes, then make a note in the medical record um, as to why you've made the amendment, what you've made it to and from. Um, it might be something that, you know, is looked back on at a later date. Um, and yes, we understand that's really frustrating. Um, unfortunately, though, um, patients do have the right to request that. Um, we do have some other topics now that I think Lisa is going to chat about today. Back to you, Lisa. Thanks, Dawn. And Karen, I think you've just posted a question in the Q&A about um, a colleague from West Sussex saying that they're receiving £2 per patient for COVID resilience and recovery. Uh, the Res Resilience and Recovery Fund, they say that's not the COVID expansion fund. Do we know anything more about this? I haven't heard anything specific about that. I don't know, Dawn, have you? If not, we can go away and make some inquiries and we will post something with the FAQs um, after the, the webinar. But I'm not, I haven't heard anything about that. Have you, Dawn? I haven't specifically, no. Um, although someone did ask me, I say asked me, has sent me an email, something to do with the COVID expansion fund, but it's not along quite along the same lines as that one. So no, I think we'll have to go away and have a look at that and... Um, post an answer okay all right thank you um so just a couple of things from me um just to update you i'm sure that everybody who's been in the office this week has already seen the briefings about the blood specimen bottles but for anybody who's just back in the office um just a quick briefing there is a global shortage of blood bottles at the moment because of the slowdown in the supply of raw materials um, they're anticipating this could be the situation for quite some time um, NHSE and I has issued some urgent guidance, which we can put the link in, in the, the, um, the chat for you. Um, but it, this does recommend that other in, it, than in, in exceptional circumstances, uh, vitamin D testing should be stopped. Retesting and monitoring intervals should be extended if clinically safe to do so. And re routine screening for things like pre-diabetes, allergy testing, routine infertility testing should be deferred until a resolution to the supply problem. Um, GPC is fully aware of the problem, is raising it and discussing it with the NHSE primary care team um, because they're obviously concerned that it's going to have an impact on regular tests for things like health checks, quaff, drug monitoring. Um, we consider it would be unreasonable for practice to delay the test and then be expected to catch up later because um, that's just going to add to the backlog. So they're hoping to get agreement for these requirements for quaff to be, quaff to be suspended but we'll need to watch the space um, and we'll update you as we hear a bit more. Um, the NHS supply chain has issued a customer notice which details the products impacted and the measures they've put in place. Um, if you normally order your supplies through P PCSE, then we, the advice that we've been given by GPC is that you should continue to do that and order in the usual way. Um, practices who do not usually order from PCSE can also do so um, and, and we can provide you with the link if you need that as well. Um, if you do get any problems please let us know and we'll escalate 
Um, hospitals shouldn't be refusing to supply you. Um, so it's a normal arrangement. Um, they are asking people not to stockpile so that there isn't any overordering. They think if we just keep calm, that hopefully we'll be okay. Um, we've just been discussing in, in the team and one of our medical directors has given some advice about where does the legal liability lie if somebody comes to harm because they can't get a blood test. Um, we're not clear yet but around the liability. So what we're suggesting is that where possible, you document in the patient records any decision to delay or defer blood tests, citing the reason that there is a global shortage of blood bottles and NHS England's corresponding advice. So that's just it on blood bottles. Um, and I think that we'll probably hear a bit more um, in the next few days and weeks. Um, we also just wanted to highlight to you, in case you hadn't seen it, um, the updated self-isolation guidance for health and social care workers. Um, so most doubly vaccinated health and social care staff who are close contacts of cases will be able to routinely return to work now, provided they've had a negative PCR test. They're also asking for them to have daily rap rapid lateral flow tests to be taken for 10 days as a precaution. Um, obviously, staff members need to remain asymptomatic and continue to follow IPC guidance. Um, if not doubly vaccinated, or, or if somebody was living directly with a COVID positive individual, there is suggestion that they may need to isolate unless this has been risk assessed and signed off by a senior individual such as a director of public health. Um, this stipulation has still been kept under review, so it might change. Um, they're also saying that staff working with extremely clinically, extremely vulnerable patients or service users may need a risk assessment to be carried out and again um, signed off before they return to work. Um, again, there is some gui a guidance letter which just summarises that and we can pop it in, in the FAQs after today or within the chat. So that's it on, on um, isolation. Just an update from the BMA on the workload prioritisation guide. They've updated it again, so the supersedes prior guidance. Um, they, they obviously say no one size fits all, that each individual practice needs to consider their own needs around workforce and workload, using clinical judgment and um, looking at personal and local circumstances such as staffing le levels, um, disease prevalence and demographics. They do feel that commissions should also continue to limit or suspend additional expectations of practices such as um, local enhanced services. Um, however, given the withdrawal of the SOP for COVID, um, GPC feel that it's no longer appropriate to provide national guidance on how this should be done. So it's just important perhaps to note that they've withdrawn their guidance, including their COVID-19 response levels and work, workload prioritisation lag ratings that previously we were referring practices to. Um, so that's just one to be aware of. And then a quick bit of information around uh, visa sponsorships. We're getting a few um, queries from practices, steady trickle coming through um, around how they might um, become a UK visa sponsoring practice as it does have advantages in terms of workforce. Um, so there is some guidance now to supplement the home office sponsor guidance, which is still current, but, but quite a lot to wade through and quite confusing. Um, there is a step-by-step -step guide um, on how to apply for a visa sponsorship license, which is now on the futures platform, I think, isn't it, Dawn? 
Um, and that's much more digestible, actually, and is designed particularly for practices. So we would recommend having a look at that if you are interested. It's much easier than the Home Office stuff, which is still relevant, but does need um, a bit of um, ploughing through. Um, and there's also a slide pack that the Home Office have produced in June, and that's that's quite useful. If you're still struggling, um, we've got a bit of information on our website that we'll, we'll include these links to, but we do have a contact at NHSE that we can contact if you've got any particular issues. Um, we try not to overload him with, with queries, but he, he is very helpful. So let us know if you're having any particular issues. And we did think it might be useful if perhaps he came onto a future PMR, PM webinar and gave a 10 minute update um, just to keep us up to date. Uh, so we'll try and get him booked in. And then I think the last one for me was just on workforce planning submissions for 21-22. It's just a reminder um, of the deadlines as per the 21-22 network contract DES. PCNs are required to submit their workforce planning returns, providing details of their updated recruitment plans by the 31st of August for 21-22 and by the 30th of October 21 for 21-22 through to 2324. Um, updated template will be available in the next few days for PCS to complete and submit. Um, it will ask some extra questions to help um, better support mental health practitioners. Um, and once completed, that template needs to be submitted to the CC, your CCG by the end of August, by the 31st. Um, there will be FAQs and videos available on the Futures platform to help you complete the template. So it's worth keeping an eye on that. And again, we'll post information in our newsletter as and when that becomes available. Um, so I think that was the updates from us. A um, bit of a whistle stop. I'll just yeah. check the, the Q&A. Um, Dawn, there is one question around um, flu. Do we have any information on how we'll be paid for flu vaccinations to non-patients, for example, care homes? Um, the short answer is no, but there is a reason for that. Um, we have asked uh, for clarity on this because I think Michelle mentioned it in our webinar um, a couple of weeks ago. The enhanced service specification in one part says that you can vaccinate non-patients in care homes and in another part it doesn't. So there is a little conflict there. And of course, yes, we have asked the question as well, if you can vaccinate your non-patients, what are the mechanisms for that and also for recording? So it's, there's quite a few operational questions around that. Um, Public Health England tell us this has been raised at a national level, but they don't have a reply for us as of yet. And I've just emailed them again today about something something else. And I've, I've mentioned this again. But um, so sadly, no, unfortunately, the answer at the moment is we don't. But it is something that has been raised nationally. Thanks, Dawn. Um, so watch the space, I guess. And another question around flu, is flu to be recorded on Pinnacle or System 1? Do we know? Um, again, unfortunately, no is the answer. And I think some of this is around the issue of if practices are going to be able to vaccinate non-patients, non-registered patients, I mean, um, then... Again, that comes back to operationally, how is it going to be um, uh, managed? Um, and as such, yes, would it? Would you need to do it on Pinnacle or is there going to be a clinical system update? Um, and, and these are 
answers to questions that we haven't had back yet, I'm afraid. Okay, thank you, Dawn. Okay, I don't think we have any other questions and in, in, unless anybody has any late questions, they'd like to pop in the, the Q&A for us. Um, Dawn, I think you've put the link to the NHSE guidance around the blood bottle shortage in the chat, but we'll also upload it to the FAQs, won't we, so that people can access it later. Um, in which case, that was a very short um, canter through the hot topics today. So hopefully you will get a little bit of time back and maybe even time to make yourselves a cup of tea. So thank you, everybody. Have a good afternoon and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.